a familial book. This is a book for sons and daughters. And uh, what we're going to apply this to tonight is wisdom in our opinions. The four things we'll look at as we consider this is just a simple understanding what are opinions, where do they come from? And then what does it look like to wisely form opinions? What's it look like to wisely express our opinions? And then um, if we're people who have trouble with our opinions, where is there grace for growing in how we hold and express our opinions? This is the word of your father who loves you as he pulls you up to his lap. Wise people treasure knowledge, but the babbling of a fool invites disaster. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of, a righteous, of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And then Proverbs 18, 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your help. We need your word to do the talking tonight. We need your word to heal us. Uh, our opinions, even about you, are strong. Our opinions about God, our opinions about the Bible, our opinions about Proverbs, we have opinions about it all, and we, we ask you to come and shout louder than our opinions. Would you please bring just a spirit of humility in this room, even right now, your humility, which is a sweet, beautiful thing. Would humility just permeate this place that we might come with inclined ear to hear you talk to us? We want to have opinions, form them, express them, hold them the way you do. We ask this in your name and for your sake. Amen. If there was ever a year that like dragged out every single last opinion that you had inside of your mind or your heart, it was 2020. And I know it's still not cool to do retrospective. Let's go visit 2020 again and think about that. So we'll be brief. We won't linger here. But think about last year and the opinions that it drug out of you, whether you wanted it to or not. What was your opinion of the quarantine decisions that were made about a year ago right now? What did you think about UGA's response, Trump's response, the governor's response? What's your opinion on mask mandates been or social distancing or all the things that get canceled or changed this past year? What did you think about the protests this summer? What did you make about Black Lives Matter? What was your opinion on how your friends were using their social media or how you should use your social media? What were your opinions on Trump and Biden and the debates in the election? What's your opinion on Harry and Meghan? Are they narcissists trying to grab the spotlight or are they whistleblowers showing you what the royal family's really like? So there's that stuff, that high caliber stuff that, that saturated last year and this year. And then there's all the opinions that hit closer to home. Things that just instantaneously occur to you without even trying to think about it. What'd you think about worship at RUF? What'd you think about last week's message? What did you think about uh, an announcement that was made? 
What do you think about Kirby? Is he Mark Rick 2.0 or is he doing something different? What do you think about your roommate's boyfriend? What do you think about your girlfriend's haircut? What do you think about the person who was in front of you on the road on your way here tonight and how they drove? How hard the millage bus driver breaks at each stop? We have opinions about everything, everything. We form an opinion about it. And I think the first step to understanding opinions is to realize that we have opinions about everything. The first bite of food, the sound, an emoji. We have opinions about everything. And we even have opinions about opinions. Oh, I hate opinionated people. Or I'm a no-drama person. I don't do opinions. It's an opinion about an opinion. So we have them, we form them, we express them. They're a significant part of our lives. If it's something that's happening in the background at all times, isn't it a really significant piece of our lives? And foolishness or wisdom is forming that process. And we've just said it's a huge piece of the pie of what you and I do in a given day <laughs> is interpreting and, and forming these opinions about life. Um, thankfully, God is opinionated. And lucky for you, he's filled uh, Proverbs with his opinions about our opinions. It's good news, right? <laughs> he shares his opinions. You don't, he's not a tease. You don't have to twist his arm to know what he thinks about pretty much anything. So before we get any further, we need to do a little bit of groundwork. So let's just try to get a working definition of what an opinion is. I mean, this is, this is as good as sense I could make of it. An opinion is my limited interpretation of my limited observation. My limited interpretation of my limited observation. So uh, we don't fully or exhaustively know um, that way that she looked at you when you walked in the room or the context behind it. We don't fully understand the context behind the text that you got or the decision your advisor gave you. So we have a limited observation of any given event, even a limited observation of ourselves. Are you hard to figure out? Boy, am I hard to figure out, even for myself. What do I want? Why am I upset? Why am I sad? We have limited observation even of things that you would think that we would know inside and out like ourselves, and we also have limited interpretations of our limited observations. Have you ever uh, read a situation the wrong way? <laughs> or maybe, uh, maybe you pulled the trigger a little bit too soon? We all have track records of not being the most reliable interpretators of what's really going on in ourselves and other people or around us. One more thing before we move on is why are we always interpreting? Is this neurosis? Is this like a pathological thing that we can't turn off our minds that are trying to make meaning of everything? No. We interpret everything and we try to make meaning of every little situation because God built us in that way just like him. He's a meaning maker too. Or he's a meaning giver. And you're made in his image. Whether you seem to know him or not, know where you are with him or not, the Bible says you're made in his image and he is an interpreter, and so you're an interpreter. Animals experience all the sensory data that you and I do. They see, they hear, they feel, they taste. But they're not asking, why did, why did she look at me that way? Or what does that ambiguously romantic emoji really mean? Where's that coming from? We are, and we're losing sleep over it. And we're trying to talk about it with our friends. What does this mean? What does that mean? What does this 
mean that I didn't get invited to that or I didn't know about it? Did they forget? Did they not want me there? We are meaning makers. And so we're like God in that regard. We're like him in that way. But the difference in God's opinions and our opinions is where our opinions are our limited interpretations of our limited observations. His observations aren't limited at all and neither are his interpretations, right? Uh, We could sit here for a few hours and just proof text all the way through the Bible, all the places God shows us that he is not limited in any of the ways that you and I are. He sees all things as they are. He sees every dimension. He sees the way it was, the way it is, the way it will be. He has exhaustive, comprehensive knowledge and understanding about literally everything, and not just because he's smart and omniscient, but because he made everything. He's breathed everything into existence. He sustains everything. He engineers everything, every detail. And so it's not just that he can see around the corner because he's smart and he knows, but he governs everything. He sustains everything. He calls all the shots. So his understanding is infinite, not limited like ours. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Even Psalm 139, uh, to quote one particular place, David is writing about God's exhaustive knowledge of him and us. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. And he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's out of my grasp. It is high and I I can't attain it. So David in this humble and comforting moment is realizing it's okay. God understands the parts of me that I don't understand. He sees everything. There's no limitation in his observation and there's no limitation in his interpretation because he has no biases, he has no blind spots. He's not waiting to see how something goes. He gets it all at one time. His interpretation is pure. He's not evil. He's not bent towards missing something. He's not waiting to learn something better. But he has perfect, a perfect view on what's going on. Our perspective, by contrast, and obviously is limited. We're trying to read facial expressions and tones of voices or what things mean in our textbook. Our observation is limited and our interpreting that observation is limited too. And so opinions are a really tricky matter, right? See how complicated this is? The cards seem to be a little bit stacked against us for rightly knowing what's going on and even in our lives, even things you'd think we'd know. So let's come back down to earth because we've kind of been doing a little bit of philosophizing. Let's come get back down on the ground. Um, what would a street level definition or illustration of all that we've said so far be? Uh, an opinion is a first draft interpretation of reality. Just a first draft. You know what a first draft is. It's that thing you scribble down right before it's due, trying to make up for weeks of uh, what we should have been doing. You're like putting all this stuff down. I hope this passes as a first draft and buys me more time till later. But an opinion is kind of a first cut. It's a first draft interpretation of a situation or a person or yourself, what's really going on. But everybody knows that first drafts aren't ready for prime time. First draft opinions, first draft interpretations aren't ready for prime time, for publicizing, for verbalizing. There's still an editing process that needs to happen. There's still research that's gotta get done. 
sources that need to be consulted to see what's really going on. Test our opinions against God's to see where we need correction. We need wisdom to proofread our opinions and catch any glaring mistakes. So uh, opinions are first draft interpretations of what's really going on. And y'all know that um, sharing out loud a first draft opinion, kind of a half-baked opinion, something that's not really ready to kind of go out and wander around in prime time, goes over about as well as a first draft submitted as a final paper. You know, if you've ever like had to turn in your final paper and you accidentally submitted the first draft instead of the final draft and you get it back and it's just drenched in red ink and you're like, what? I submitted the wrong version. First draft papers aren't received well because they're confusing and they're insufficient and they're unfinished. Here's the danger of these first draft interpretations. They form so quickly, right? Everything I mentioned earlier on, like the driver on the way over here, or how somebody looked, or how something tasted in your dinner tonight, or what you thought about the first two songs that we sang, they just, you don't say, now mind, let's think about that first song, and what did you think about it, mind? It's just, boom, the thought's there. So we're always playing catch up with our opinions, right? We're trying to catch up to what they've already interpreted for us. And we feel them deeply. I mean, there's like a, I don't know, a a millimeter between an interpretation and an emotion that comes with that, right? I mean, an anxiety is an interpreter of an event. It's a, it's a kind of a prophet of doom. This is all doom. There's no hope here. I'm on my own. And you know how quickly that emotion comes with it. Instantaneous. So this is really hard stuff because they form so quickly, they form so effortlessly, and they form so strongly. Add all that up and it means that our, we form opinions sometimes before we're informed. Opinions are forming inside of us even before we're informed. And the clock is ticking. Because opinions are like a a piece of wet clay that's put out in the sun. The clock is ticking on that. It's only pliable. You can only stretch it and move it around and change it for so long. If you just leave it there and let it be, you come back the next day and you can push as hard as you want on that. It won't move. And so sometimes soft Initial opinions can very quickly morph into very hard conclusions, convictions. We're not asking questions about what's going on here anymore, or what is this like, or what did she really mean, or what did he really do, but we're saying, this is the way it is. This is what she meant. This is why he did that. And that's where we can get into trouble. We can move from an opinion of, is this the way it is, to this is the way it is, in lightning speed. And that's when trouble is unleashed in us. Now, um, this is not like a new problem. Uh, It's been going on since humanity decided to go their own way. But just a little bit of a trace through history, that French philosopher uh, Voltaire said in the 1700s, France, opinion has caused more trouble on this little earth than plagues or earthquakes. 1400, Da Vinci wrote, the greatest deception which men incur proceeds from their opinions. And Solomon wrote here on your page, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing their opinion. Those are strong words. But if you think about the past year and what maybe first draft opinions that got verbalized on your account or somebody else's account that you read, 
Or maybe over Christmas, mom shared a first draft interpretation of some political thing and you're like, I gotta get back to Athens. I can't be here any longer. It does damage, doesn't it? Or maybe a misunderstanding between you and a roommate and a first draft opinion turned into a hardened conclusion. And in these ways, uh, we get ourselves into trouble and we relate to what Voltaire and what Da Vinci and what Solomon were writing about. A lot of damage comes out in these ways, especially your opinion about yourself. Think about your opinion about yourself this past year. What's that been like? Has that caused pain? Perhaps a not totally informed opinion or an opinion where God's voice didn't get a, get a seat at the table, just your voice or your shame, and it's left you with a warped understanding of yourself. This is big stuff. So again, just to kind of bring us up to speed, opinions aren't bad things. They're an interpretation of things because we're made in God's image, but there's a rot in our interpretation. There's a sense of this in all of our hearts. Uh, What you see is the first proverb on your page, the way of a fool is right in his or her own eyes. There's a sense in which we feel these things and we think everything I feel is the way it is, or everything I've concluded in my mind, this is the way it is. The root of the rot, in our opinions, is foolishness. So Solomon would describe a fool as someone who thinks that her or his observations and interpretations are um, unlimited and accurate. I see this situation exhaustively. I know all the information. I don't need to be asking questions. I don't need to sit on this, pray on this, give it some time. I get it the way it is now. Solomon would say that's the thought process of foolishness. A fool is always right in their own eyes he writes. The fool is permanently impressed with their own perspective on things. They're never wrong. Other people are always wrong. They always get it right when other people don't get it right. And this is why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 28, 26, those who trust in their own insight are foolish because they're closed off from other information coming in. They're not asking questions, so they're not getting context. They're not getting a wider perspective. They're not hearing that friend who's on the other side of the issue saying, but have you thought about this? I haven't. That's really helpful. Not so with the fool. The fool thinks he or she sees it all at the same time. And so the fool is somebody who speaks first and never listens, instead of someone who's slow to speak and quick to listen. The fool is someone, and when we're acting in foolishness with our opinions, we're people who hit print on the first draft and think it's the final draft. And we expect to get an A. We expect it to go over well. We expect it to persuade other people. We expect it to change a situation, and a lot of times it doesn't. It might make it worse. And we wonder why. Are these people just dumb and they don't get it? Well, it could be that we don't see it, and they see it better than us. If this stuff was just kind of this, you know, metaphor I've been running with, the academic metaphor of this uh, first draft, um, it doesn't seem like that much is on the line, but when you consider the behavior or the actions or the words people have spoken to you that have arisen out of their opinions, gossip perhaps, somebody had just a sliver of understanding about what so-and-so did and they started sharing it with everybody else, 
And Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a whisper or a gossip are like delicious morsels. They penetrate all the way down into the inner parts of the body. And, and you were the one who was gossiped about, or you were the one in the living room while your roommate spouted off about somebody else. You see how real life this is and how serious this stuff is. You see Proverbs 12.18, there is one whose rash words are like a sword thrust whereas the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, a lot of us don't intentionally do this, and that's the tricky part, right? It's, a lot of times it's unintentional because, again, that whisper in her head of, you're seeing everything right, you're doing awesome, you get it all. Uh, yours is the right opinion, yours is the right perspective. Um, because of that, um, we do this unintentionally a lot of times. Our opinions get left in the sun without us knowing it and hardened into wrong convictions. And again, I'm talking about opinions about God. What is he like? What's his deepest heart for you like? What's Jesus like? We have an opinion about that. What's your best friend like? What are you really like? We have opinions about it all. So if that's kind of the problem and what's on the line with forming our opinions, what does wisdom in forming an opinion look like? Back to Proverbs, if, if you've been here the first two weeks, you could probably answer that question because there's a really clear and apparent theme that's been emerging from the first nine chapters of Proverbs. Uh, and it's listen, right? Listen, 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 listen. If you go back and look at the first paragraph of the book of Proverbs, this good news book of wisdom for people who struggle to be wise, it says this is a book for the simple, the simple-minded, the simplistic, the naive, the inexperienced, the fool, people who form their opinions in foolish ways. Listen, inclining our ear. That's the path to wisdom in forming our opinions. Proverbs 10, 14, Solomon writes that wise people treasure knowledge. Kind of the way I think that an explorer treasures buried treasure or like a sunken ship. They treasure it because they lack it and they know they want it. They have to have it. So they pursue it. They're interested in it. They're searching for it. Wisdom with opinions looks like treasuring knowledge, treasuring context, trying to get more information, trying to inform yourself on this issue or that issue or this conflict that's happening or this friend's opinion. That's what wisdom looks like. Wisdom is open-eared, open-eyed, open-minded. Not naively, we said a few weeks ago that funny G.K. Chesterton quote about being so open-minded your brain falls out and not knowing that a mind like a mouth is supposed to open so it can close on something and be nourished by it. But if your mind isn't ever open to consider that I might not understand this issue perfectly, I might need other people to help inform me. I might just sit down with someone in RUF or on campus that's got a different background than me and just listen to them and say, what's ex this experience been like for you? That's wisdom because it's open-eared, open-eyed, and open-minded. Wise people ponder before they answer. They discern, they process before they talk. And that's what Solomon says. And this process, as you can imagine, takes a lot of time. John Mark Comer is, that, is the author of the book that Jeremiah had up here, uh, the Pink Ruthless Elimination of Hurry book that tons of people are reading. He said in that book, wisdom is born in the quiet and the slow. 
Wisdom has its own pace, and it makes you wait on it. And that's and the reason why is some things, especially complicated things, aren't easily solved. Uh, you getting context on it and learning about it might be a decade or two decades or three decades to search that, to sit in humility with it. Do you know that God is patient with you with that learning process? Do you know if you're trying to make sense of the kind of things I've already mentioned that went on last year, do you know that Jesus is patient with you? He's insistent with you. He's insisting that you listen. He's in, he insists that you pay attention, that you bring your opinions under the light of his opinions. But did you know he's patient? Did you know he's okay with it taking decades for you to evolve into a more Christ-like mind on some of these things? He's not okay with you checking out and saying, well, the Lord will do it for me then. He wants you to learn. He wants you to pursue. He wants you to maybe read a book on a topic you're not that informed on. But he's patient with us because the process takes time. Because the process takes time. So for some of us, depending on the issue, it might look like a book that a friend recommended. You might not have thought very much about racial reconciliation or justice conversations that are going on or culture conversations that are going on. And friends, now's the time to put your opinions under the lens of Scripture and say, have I been listening to the Bible? Do I, does my heart on this issue match God's heart on this issue? Or have I been reading some things into my Bible? Or have I been blind to some things out of the mouth of Jesus because I haven't been listening for my, it's been eclipsed by pre-opinions that I came to the Bible with? Now's the time. And God is patient with you. But it's a humbling process. Because it means when you feel these strong convictions, when you feel like that comment that person made was wrong, it means sitting in that and saying, wait a second, maybe they weren't wrong. Or maybe they didn't phrase it right. Maybe this part of what they said is true and helpful, but, but the way that they applied it was wrong. But I can take this and learn from it and grow from it. That's wisdom. Do you know the kind of things that God will call you to observe and learn from in the book of Proverbs? Ants, consider the way of the ant, lazy people, he says. Rock badgers, grasshoppers, and there's a ton of overlap in Proverbs with other ancient Near Eastern wisdom. Things that you'll find in Egyptian wisdom literature, Babylonian wisdom literature. God is for the learning process. All truth is his truth. The Christian does not have to be afraid at the university. Everything you stumble on that is real and true and accurate is his. The Christian is the freest, most liberated learner. The person who can Go into the lab and go as deep as you want to go because you're not afraid of what you're going to find. All it's going to do is give you more and more reasons to love and worship and marvel at your maker and the world's maker. That's wisdom. Wise people are learners. Fools are closed-minded, are done learning because they've got the right opinion right now. That's the, this, the, the, the chorus of Proverbs. So interrelationally, what does this wisdom look like, this forming opinions? Um, there's a Scottish pastor, and I don't know if he's old or new or whatever, and I don't know why I told you he's a Scottish pastor. I guess I just felt I needed to. Ian McLaren, 
He said, and, and Robert Kennedy is actually who I heard quote this in a speech, but he said, be kind because everybody you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. In a sense, he's saying you have to learn other people, even the ones you think you know well, because the battles they're fighting change by the month. He's saying we, you and I have got to become learners of each other. We've got to pay attention to each other. We've got to stop hitting print uh, after you've heard three comments from a person and say, oh, well, you know, they're narrow-minded. They haven't thought this through. Or, oh, yeah, there's another person going liberal. We have got to stick in there with each other and pay attention because we don't understand the context we think we do. And if we're going to say something helpful and wise to our brother or sister, don't you want it to be a well-aimed word that's captured where they're actually at, that's accurate? That can happen if we listen. Ed Welch was my, one of my counseling um, professors, and I loved him because he would say, you know, we were in this problems and procedures classes where we're talking about just this whole range of issues, schizophrenia and OCD and depression and anxiety. He says, you know, when you think you've got a person figured out, always ask one more question. He said, when you're in there and your mind has finally settled on, this is what's going on. I, I've seen this a thousand times. He says, ask one more question to complicate the picture again. But he said, what you're prone to do if you don't ask one more question is reduce this person down to some issue and you're prone to kind of rush in with all these answers for questions they're not asking. And you're prone to steamroll over them instead of gently, patiently help them. That's a wise thing to do to when you think you've got a situation or a person figured out to come with questions instead of conclusions. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 7. He says there's a, there's a sin piece to this too. If I'm going to come to you and say, brother, I think there's a plank in your eye. There's some big thing in your eye or a speck in your eye. Sorry, Jesus says... Ben, the first thing you've got to do is seek treasure, knowledge. Look at yourself, Ben. Check yourself. Is there something about your outlook on this situation that's blinding you and going to make you just gouge their eye out when you try to take the speck out? First, he says, fix your perspective, fix your paradigm, fix your interpretation so that you can go and help theirs. That's the wise person walking in love is the person who is cross-examining their foolish tendencies. A person who's scrutinizing their potential prejudices and biases about whatever the issue or situation is. It's a person who is looking to find some error in their interpretation. And they're not surprised when they find it. They're not bent out of shape when they find it. They just say, thank you, Lord, for shining some light on this area of ignorance. Now I know more. Help me understand this. That's wisdom with opinions. We can ask it with the Bible. Where have I perhaps been misinterpreting Scripture accidentally or intentionally? Where have I been wanting to say the Bible, a where have I been wanting the Bible to say a certain thing about sexuality or about drunkenness really because I don't want to hear what God has to say about it. I don't want his opinion. I want my opinion. Friends, what would it look like for you in humility to seek knowledge, to be hungry for wisdom, to say, okay, Father, I think I hit print on my understanding of your opinion on drunkenness. I don't, it seems silly, it seems arbitrary to me, Father, teach me, why is that something that you say is going to destroy me? I don't see it destroying me. 
Why do you say that's something that's corrosive to real relationship? You get to do that. And he's happy to enter into that conversation with you. The piece about wisdom and expressing our opinions is very short and very simple because I think we've already talked a lot about it. Here it is. You ready? After you and I have taken in, we've learned, we've listened, we've searched God's heart on the matter, we've cross-examined our potential biases, you're free to speak. And depending on how wise you and I are or how much clarity we have in a situation, that could be two minutes after you learned about it or that could be two years after you learned about it. Kind of depends on the situation. How long it takes to see a situation clearly and to come in with a calm hand and to have a conversation that you're hoping is constructive with another person. Um, Paul in Ephesians 4 gives us a really wise, beautiful, loving rubric of how to talk to each other about easy things or hard things. Ephesians 4, 29, I put it on your sheet. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. There's a three-part litmus test in here for us. And he says, don't let something come out of your mouth unless it passes all three of these tests. It's not love unless there's a check on each of these things. Is it constructive? He didn't say sugary and positive. He didn't say, you're just fabulous. Everything you do is fabulous. He said, is it constructive? To build this building, guess what they had to do? Cut a ton of trees down, bring a lot of bulldozers in to cut through this earth. Constructive words can be hard words. They can be critical words, but they're aimed at building, not destroying. They're aimed at helping, not hurting. That's the first test. Is this constructive? Is my motivation building or is my motivation destroying? The second, does, does my words, does sharing this opinion fit this occasion? Does my opinion fit this particular occasion? Uh, is it over-escalated? Am I coming in hot on something that's actually not that serious? Or am I diminishing the seriousness of something that actually is very serious? Is this comment or this opinion that I'm going to share with this friend, is it fitting? Is it calibrated to the details of this situation? Third, does it give grace to this particular person? Is there a high likelihood that these words is going to help this person, even if it's a rebuke, even if it's correction, if it's encouragement, whatever it is, if it's helping them try to understand something that they've clearly not thought through very well? Have you translated it as best you can into a way that they're going to understand? Or do we just shout louder and louder, why don't you get it? I can't hang out with you anymore. Is it constructive? Does it fit the occasion? Does it give grace to that particular person? I want to get practical with how we end. What do we do if you're a person, you feel like, boy, am I opinionated? Now that I'm, t now that I'm thinking about this, I've got opinions about everything, and um, I'm not, you know, I'm not too happy about a lot of my opinions. I don't know where they came from. Just my gut, my emotions, the way I was raised, whatever. My preferences, and you want to change. What would Jesus say to you? Jesus would say to you, he's willing to start wherever you are tonight. Jesus would say to you, the reason he wrote all of these things in this book is to 
hold out his hand to where you are and bring you forward. Jesus was an interesting person to watch in the Gospel of John, wasn't he? His opinions rarely matched the opinions of the crowds around him. The crowds dismissed the women. Jesus paid attention to them. Jesus listened to them. Jesus heard their story instead of hitting print after they heard she's kind of, you know, the town prostitute. Jesus sat down and listened. The crowds had opinions about little rugrat kids. Keep them away. They're best when we see them, but don't hear them. And Jesus said, are you kidding? Theirs is the kingdom. They loved Jesus. They ran through the villages to find him. Jesus had a different opinion about ethnic outsiders like Samaritans. When everybody else didn't even look their way, Jesus rerouted himself. Jesus had different opinions about tax agents, lepers, the handicapped, than the crowds did. And you know that Jesus wants to share his opinions with you and I, that we might think and discern and navigate similar situations in similar ways, in a way that causes springtime to come back. People are humanized again. Situations are illuminated again. We stop fighting. That's where Jesus is willing to begin with you. Here's three or four specific applications to three or four different kinds of personalities in the room. Some of you are so discerning and reflective and thoughtful. It's beautiful. You ponder every time before you answer. The application for you is it's time to speak. Pondering is not supposed to be permanent. It's supposed to help your answer to be helpful. Pondering, the goal of pondering is that when you speak, which you should speak, it's well-aimed words that actually help the situation. What if you're wrong? Do you have to wait till your opinion is perfect? What if you're wrong? You'll never know if your opinion is perfect unless it's a clear-cut issue. Just share it in humility, and if somebody corrects you and points something out you didn't get, say, oh, thanks for that. That's helpful. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, some of us, we can examine for prejudice in our most opinionated places. What are the things that get you most fired up about or you're most sure about, most convicted about? Who do you have the most fierce opinions about? Those can be X, X's on the map to go and explore for what piece of context you haven't seen yet that would give you a more empathetic or loving or understanding approach. For some of us, it's going to be to befriend our Bibles and take them more seriously than our textbooks, to know that this is literally the only solitary hope that you and I have for understanding ourselves and understanding our world and understanding God. There is nothing else out there that can help grow you in wisdom. And for all of us, we can take one or two situations that we are in at the moment and practice slowing down and try to loosen our grip on conclusions that we've made that we think we get, we think we see it as, we, we, as it is, and we can go back to questions and say, is this really the way it is? Is there a more charitable interpretation of this easy interpretation I came up with? And friends, if you don't know this God, my question to you is, will you let Jesus insist on who he is Will you loosen your grip on your opinion about him and let him tell you who he is, or will you hold tight to that and not let him tell you who he is? Have you hit print on your ideas about God before God ever got a word in? 
what would it look like for you to actually believe that this God looks you in the eye and wants to talk to you and wants to introduce himself to you? He's not narrow-minded. He's not opinionated in the negative sense. He is beautifully sophisticated, tender, balanced, textured in his outlook. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've done a deep dive in this stuff. I know it hits home for all of us because it's something that we're doing every second of every day, that we're awake. We pray again that you would help us. We pray again that you would come and bring wisdom and illumine in these areas in our lives. That the end product, the result of you growing us in wisdom here would be love for you, love for our neighbors, and even love for ourselves. Pray this in your name. Amen.